Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is that while running a half marathon in Cincinnati yesterday, about mile eight, I blew out my right foot. The good news is I was making really good time. (laughs) Anyway, there we go. God's good all the time. He's got a purpose in everything, doesn't he? Yeah? Well, we've been talking about heaven. Heaven. The destination aspects of heaven. How many of you planning to go there after this? <laughs> Why is that? How are you going to get in? That's, yeah. Jesus is your only answer, right? It's our true hope. So I wanted to spend a few weeks talking about heaven and the destination of heaven. Four important questions. Is there really a heaven? The answer is absolutely. Yeah, count on it. Plan for it. Prepare for it. Send some stuff on ahead. What will heaven be like was last week. We saw that the scriptures say that in heaven the dwellings of God and men will merge forever and ever. They won't be separate. There won't be this reaching through this veil like we do in worship. We'll be there. And it will be perpetually new. The God who says, behold, I make all things new. Every moment will be as your first. Be like your first. It will be just like it. I know. We have no space for that, really, do we? Today I'd like for us to talk a little bit about what we'll have in heaven. And the next week I plan to wrap up the series with what will our bodies be like in heaven. (laughs) Won't be needing that. The Bible gives us answers to all of these questions about heaven. And it dispels many of the myths that we have about heaven. We have a lot of myths about heaven And the Bible dispels these myths by reversing the flow of biblical interpretation. Here's what I mean by that. I've referenced it before that what we commonly do is we interpret the Bible backwards. We start from where we are, who we are, what we want, living in a fallen world, and we try to impose all of that backwards onto the Scriptures. And that's the backward way to interpret the Bible. What we need to do is start with the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak the truth of the Bible into our situation, gives us new identity. We don't start with who we are. I don't want to be this person. I want to be the person God wants me to be, yeah? So we start with his truth and we let it come this way. And this is true of heaven. We start with, well, here's what I want when I get to heaven. And we base it on everything that we have here which is so limited and so finite and so fallen and so broken. Even the best of it is broken. And so we keep trying to push back and say, well, this is, so what we're doing is we're saying, God, would you just start, Holy Spirit, would you just come and start with the truth of the Scripture and bring it this way? Because truth is truth. We can't change what is true by interpreting the Bible backwards, can we? Truth is truth. It's absolute. It stands forever. And Jesus said it's the truth that will set you free, not your version of what you want imposed back on God that will set you free. But it's the truth coming from God to us that will set us free. And I promise you that this is a perspective that the devil does not want you to have. 
This business about heaven, the truth of heaven, this aspect of receiving from the scriptures this way rather than pushing back. I promise you this is a perspective the devil does not want you to have. But so what? (laughs) That's why I want you to have it. (laughs) So today let's talk about what will we have in heaven. I mean, will we have this mansion over the hilltop? Will we have the best versions of everything that we can think of here on earth? What will we have in heaven? Will we need to have anything? Will we need anything? Well, we're going to have something. I'm going to do a couple of scriptures, and before we get to our main passage, let me just show you 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to begin with. And Paul is talking, and in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 10, he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. And he's, at this point in context, he's talking about the relationship between himself and Apollos and their respective ministries. But he says, here's what he says, But each one, each one, every one of us should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he says everybody has to start with Jesus. There's no other foundation. So you don't start with Jesus. If you start with something else, if you do, the, if you do any of this to try to please somebody or, or any other reason, you're not building on anything. It has to start with your own identification with Jesus. He's the foundation. Verse 12, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the day, the day, there's a day coming. The day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he builds survives, catch this, he will receive his reward. So there's something his reward. Now catch this. If it is burned up, that is, if you have the foundation of Jesus and spend your whole life in wood, hay, and stubble, because Jesus is the foundation, it says, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. But only as one escaping through the flames. You'll be the smoky ones in heaven. I wish that the Bible talked more about what this reward is so that we could uh, maybe identify with it some more, what we'll have in heaven. But the scriptures are clear that there is some differentiation in heaven with what we'll have based on how we build on the foundation. So what's going to be available to us in heaven to have? Well, the Bible describes heaven, catch this, I want to say it this way as a magnification of the original paradise that God created in the Garden of Eden. That's a magnification, exponentially magnified, infinitely magnified, but with some similar qualities. Genesis tells us, have you got the Genesis yet, anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever looked inside Genesis. I'm worried about some of you for not raising your hand right now. It's the start been reading some Genesis, and it tells us that God had glorious intentions for us from the beginning. A paradise, a paradise which was lost by the inbreaking of sin. So the original sin came through the devil, the serpent. The deception of the devil came. And the paradise which God had created 
there was an invasion, an inbreak. This is a very critical way to think of this, an inbreaking of sin. Giving rise for the need for the law, and eventually then for Jesus Christ to come and do his redemptive work. And so, as Jesus Christ came, gave his life, shed his blood, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, and then as he promised, returned the Holy Spirit to his people, then there's another opportunity. It's a counter to the inbreaking of sin, because now as believers, as spirit-filled believers, we have access to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God here among us. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God here among us. So this is the dynamic of the thing, that where there was inbreaking of sin in the garden, now there's an inbreaking of the kingdom of God through Jesus. And so heaven, I believe, just as Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of the shadowy law, that heaven will be a magnification, a fulfillment of the shadowy thing in the paradise of the garden. As good as that was, it will pale in comparison to heaven. Does that make sense? Now let's look at our passage, Revelation chapter 22, and say, well, what's going to be there for us to have access to? What will we have? Last chapter of the Bible. Hmm, better pay attention. If you haven't got anything so far, this will be your chance. Chapter 22, verse 1, then the angel, this is John, is having this revelation of heaven. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. What does it say about what we'll have in heaven? Four things. I think it says we're going to have the river of life. Verse 1, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, rivers in themselves were symbols of life, not only for the Jewish people, but for everybody who lived in these arid climates. So a river, I mean, it's hard for us to appreciate what John's saying here because we turn on our faucet and water just comes flowing and we stand and take endless showers. But some of us have had the the privilege of traveling to other parts of the world where we've seen that that's not so. And many of you have been so gracious and generous in helping us to provide fresh water for the impoverished people of India. God bless you for that. Unless you've been there, it would be hard for you to imagine the difference you have made by doing that. Unless you have been there with us and looked into the eyes of these people who are receiving water, whose babies were formerly dying of dehydration because of the polluted water supplies. It's hard for us to get our heads around what John's saying here about this river flowing. When said in context, it would have been an amazing thing for him to say. And the rivers of, the gar- of Genesis 2.10, where it talks about the rivers in the garden, 
now become this fulfilled crystal clear river flowing from the throne of God. You know that's got to be good water. Very fun passage for me is in Ezekiel chapter 47. You want to flip back there. It says Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 1 talks about this river. This isn't the first time we've heard about this river. It says the man brought me back. See Ezekiel's having a vision. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He's so, he's so intrigued by this. There's just water coming out from under the temple. He then brought me through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate, facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. Somebody's praying. My foot's buzzing. Keep, keep it up. That's good. <laughs> Kingdom breaks out. You guys are so nasty praying for me without my permission. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. And he measured off another, I love this, he led me another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? (laughs) Ah, Yeah. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees. Huh. A great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish. I like that, guys. There will be large numbers of fish. Because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. And get I to Eglam, where there will be places for spreading nets. And the fish will be there. Uh, well, the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. So he talks about this river. Remember, remember a time in your life where you had a most refreshing drink of water? Come on. Maybe you were working in the hot sun and you kept putting off, well, I'm just going to mow a little while longer. I'm just going to run a little while farther. I'm just going to do this longer. And you just became more and more thirsty. And then when that cold water hit, you remember that? Put that whole thing on steroids and you're getting a glimpse of heaven, what you'll have in heaven. So you'll have the river of life. You'll also have the tree of life back in our passage. On each side, verse 2, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month, just as we saw in Ezekiel 47. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Trees were also a symbol of life because they were perennials and not annuals. They kept coming back every year. You know, it's one thing to plant wheat in this environment where every year you go out into this arid climate and you scratch in the soil and you toil in the sun to put this weed in every year. And you know it's only going to be for that year. But a tree, a fig tree was a different thing. A fig tree, once properly tended through its infancy and youth and reached its early maturity and fruit-bearing years, was something you could count on. And so a tree itself was such a symbol of life. 
And uh, the tree then of the, of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.9 becomes this tree of life in heaven in Revelation chapter 22. What are the trees for? Well, what does it say? What are the leaves for? Healing of the nations. Don't you wonder why would we need healing in heaven? I thought nothing was going to be broken. Why would we need healing in heaven? Well, it's the healing of the what? Of the nations. And maybe you get a picture of heaven. Make sure you have every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And the truth is that while we've been on this earth, nation has risen up against nation and a people has hated that people and we have fought for things that aren't ours and we have not been generous with the things we have and so people have fought against us and we have fought against them all in the name of some standard of living. And for all of history, nation has risen up against nation. And so people who have fought with one another will face each other in heaven. And the Bible says that the trees for the healing of the nations, there will be a perfect healing between us. Some of you have actually been taught to hate people who aren't like you. You've been taught to hate, either intentionally or kind of subliminally. You've been taught to hate them. And it's hard for some of you to be around people who aren't like you. You become suspicious. You become afraid. And these, this tree is going to heal all that. And you will embrace the people you now hate. In heaven, there will be the removal of the curse. Next in verse 3. This is huge. No longer will there be any curse. Didn't I just tell you that? It's right there in the Bible. No longer will there be any curse. The curse it's talking about is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, where after original sin broke in, then what happened? There was a curse. It said, you're going to experience great pain in childbirth. By the way, you should know that when I'm up here saying I've got this intolerable pain when I put my heel down, I'm a man. (laughs) You always have to take what a man says about pain with a grain of salt, right? We don't know pain. It's all relative to us. Yeah. So anyway, ladies, you got that by the curse. That's part of the curse. Men, what did you get? Toiling by the sweat of your brow, the uncertainty of provision. And even in this economy in which we live, the application of that is you live under this uncertainty. That somebody could come along and hand you a piece of paper that says, you're done here. And you live under that constant threat of uncertainty and that constant threat even if you have a job I hope I don't live longer than my money and all these kind of things that roll around in your mind that are such a problem and it's all part of the curse this came with the curse disease came with the curse sin came with the curse murder came with the curse we see it in the next chapter in the Bible all these things came with the curse and the Bible says there will be no curse in heaven. Try to imagine your life without any of that stuff in it. Can you? Can you imagine your life without any of the result of the curse in it? You take away all the anxiety, all the tension about making a living, all these things. You know what you are? You're a child. 
You didn't worry about that stuff when you were a kid, did you? You're a child. And Jesus said, unless you are born again, unless you change and become like one of these little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You're a child. And so I just want you to try to imagine an existence without the curse, without the trauma. Some of you have visited terrible things on you as children. You were these, and it changed everything, didn't it? It took away your childhood. And you still live with that. Now, take that away. Take that away. It, can you even imagine your life without that, that pain, without the effects of that? Well, this is going to be heaven. There'll be no curse. And I think that This is just speculation on my part, but I think to the degree, listen, to the degree that heaven is a magnification of paradise without the curse, that hell will be an exponential magnification of the curse. Completely devoid of God. Fourth, there's the presence of God in every conceivable way. If you look at verses 4 and 5, It says, talking about heaven, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They won't need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and he will reign forever and they will reign forever and ever. So the the presence of God himself in every conceivable way. So there's not that business of momentary experiences with God as we tend to have here, but this constant provision of the presence of God You also see that in Revelation 21, verse 23. You can see this in Isaiah chapter 60. All week long as I was preparing this, I'm like, Lord, what are we going to have in heaven, really? What are we going to have? I mean, I've read, but I need you to reveal to me what we're going to have in heaven. And in that place where the Holy Spirit speaks to me, you have that same place, by the way. It doesn't just come with a degree or a paycheck, all right? You have that same place. In the place where the Holy Spirit... Lord, what are we going to have in heaven? The same answer came every time I asked it. And he said, you will have me. You will have me. The presence of God in every conceivable way will be the glory of heaven. That's heaven. That's what we'll have. You might be saying, well, that's not the heaven I want to go to. (laughs) Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. That's the heaven you want to go to. You just don't know it yet. You say, well, I'm not into all that stuff. (laughs) I'm not... I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm not that sort of Christian. I'm a different kind of Christian. I'm a, you know, and you fill in the blank. I'm not one of those Christians that experiences God and wants to worship Him and wants to hear His voice. I'm not that kind. I, 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 I'm not that kind of Christian. I have a different heaven in mind. Well, then you're going to need a different Bible. You're going to need a different God. Because truth is truth, and this is what heaven is, and this is the heaven you want. And everything that makes you shrink back from this that goes, that's not the heaven I want to go to. Everything that causes you to pull away 
is part of the curse. Because what you're likely doing is you're trying to create a concept of heaven that is built on brokenness. Everything that causes you to shrink back from this and say, I don't want that, is something that we use to medicate our pain of not having it. So when we surround ourselves with things and we surround ourselves with experiences and we surround ourselves with the things of the earth to try to satisfy that craving, then what we're doing was we're just medicating ourselves against our true desire, which is God, because you are created to have fellowship with God. This is the heaven you want to go to. You just may not know it yet. I don't want to see any of you in heaven as smoky Christians. The ones who just made it in because you did have an authentic expression of trusting in Jesus as Savior. Don't you be showing up naked in heaven when God is here to be experienced now. Jesus wants to know where your heart is this morning. Here's what he said about heaven in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. He said, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your what? Treasure is there your what? heart will be also so the question is where's your heart where's your heart and if your heart is invested in the things of the earth i'm not surprised that you look at that description of heaven and go yeah that doesn't sound that exciting because that's what your treasure is but jesus asked us the question where's your heart are you longing for heaven yet some of you are and some of you aren't The key to this is enjoying enough of the kingdom of God here on earth, enjoying enough of the presence of the Spirit and the move of God here on earth so that your longings begin to change. Are you ready for heaven yet? I want to ask every one of you this question. The Bible says, It is appointed unto every man once to die, and after that the judgment. Are you ready for that day? How do I get ready for that day? By authentically trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. There is none other, the Bible says, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus. You can't work your way in. You can't study your way in. You can't hope your way in. You trust in Jesus. You invite Jesus Christ to come in. And be not only Savior, but Lord, and to lead you into these experiences of expression with the power of his Holy Spirit indwelling you so that your longings change. And you know, and only you know, if you're authentically trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Only you know. And if you're sitting here today going, you know, I'm I'm not there yet. I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? What's keeping you from giving yourself fully to Jesus Christ? You know, I had a nagging suspicion that I should not run that race yesterday. 
And in my training, I felt a sore foot along the way and just kept manning up and pushing through and manning up and pushing through. And then even at the start of the race, I had told myself, you know, that foot's still a little bit sore. I'm going to just cover the distance today, not going to worry about the time until they said go. And then I saw people in front of me who I thought I should be able to run faster than them. And so I passed them. Until I got into a group of people that I thought, yeah, they look about like me. And I I had a suspicion I should not run that race. It wasn't a leading from the Lord. It was a suspicion. And you know what made me run? My pride. My pride. I didn't want to have to face the people I run with and say, you know, I didn't run because I had a sore foot. And it was my pride that made me do the thing I knew I shouldn't do. Some of you sitting here right now, you know, I know I need to come to Christ. I know I need that. I know I need to do that. But you're not. Something is keeping you from coming. And I'm telling you what it is in every case. It's your pride. Some version, some expression of your pride. There's a heaven and there's a hell. An authentic personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life is the only thing that makes the difference between the two. Is your pride worth spending eternity in hell? I've got time. That's what our friend Nancy Wilson, the wife of Pastor Ken Wilson of the Ann Arbor Vineyard. I mean, she's an ardent believer, but last Sunday, she just died. She just died. Suddenly inexplicably now she's in heaven so a little girl at Briggs High School who stepped out accidentally in traffic and she's gone you just don't know how much time you have Father God in the name of Jesus I pray that you will release your pulling power To every person here who knows that today needs to be the day that they swallow their pride, they bury their pride, they conquer their pride by your Spirit and come to receive you as Savior. I pray for every person here who has a single question about their salvation. I pray for every person here who is not living in the full assurance that at the last beat of their heart, They will enjoy paradise with you because of their relationship with Jesus. I pray for every single person here who lives in questioning about that. Who is stirred inside of their heart to say, Today is the day I will overcome my pride and I will authentically, fully 
give my life to Jesus Christ, invite Him to come in as my Savior to save me from my sins, and as Lord to lead me in the paths of righteousness that He has for me on this earth. I pray for every one of those people. And I pray that you'll give every one of them the power to respond to you in authentic ways today, God. That your Holy Spirit will touch them at the deepest places. That right now you'll stir inside of their hearts in deep, deep places and draw them into the safety of your salvation. I pray for this, Lord. I pray for this. And I pray in the name of Jesus. I want to invite every person who would like to make today the day that they authentically give their lives to Jesus Christ to get up from where you are and just come and stand in a mob right here. Let's all stand together. And I want to invite those of you who are stirred by that just to come right now and stand right here and I will pray with you. Come on. There's no reason to leave here today under any doubt. Just come all the way up. Come on. Come on. Praise God. Come on. Come on. I cannot believe that our pride would be worth being separated for all eternity. I have it from the Holy Spirit that there are seven of you who are ready to come to Jesus. Come on. Step right up here. I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to make you do anything.